Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. In the Old Testament, there are many different pictures of Christ. Understand, when you read the Bible, the Bible is not 66 disconnected books. The Bible is one story that all points to Jesus Christ. And it's been said the Old Testament is pointing to a coming Savior, the New Testament is pointing back to a Savior that has come. And it all flows together in one narrative. And when I began to understand the Bible in that way, it really changed my understanding and opened up God's Word in some amazing ways. And so in the Old Testament you say, well, we don't really find Jesus until we get to the Gospels, the New Testament. That's not true. We find Jesus all through the Old Testament. There are, there are times where we believe Jesus, where He came to earth, we call those Christophanies in the Old Testament. But often there are characters, or there are stories, or there are events, or even objects. You get into the tabernacle and in the temple, and they are pictures of Christ. They're pictures of Jesus, they're pictures of the work that He would do, the the sacrificial lamb that they would sacrifice for their sins in the Old Testament. That's a picture of the sacrifice that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would make. And so when you're reading the Old Testament and you find uh, characters, you find pictures of Jesus, uh, we call those types of Christ. They are types of Christ, and Joseph is one of the, I I don't know if the right word is largest, he's one of the, the largest types of Christ. You will see pictures of Jesus and the work that Jesus would do all through the story of Jesus. So as we study his life in the coming weeks, you're going to see many, including today, many beautiful pictures and illustrations of our Savior. One, One commentator said, Joseph is one of the richest illustrations of Jesus Christ found in the Old Testament. Another one said, there may not be a life that more beautifully portrays the life of Jesus than the life of Joseph. And so that's who we're going to be studying in the coming weeks as we close out our series in Genesis. Next Sunday, on Vision Sunday, um, I, will, I will tell you where we're going with all of our message series and our, our plans next Sunday for the year, if the Lord should tarry. We have some very exciting things that we're going to be covering. Next Sunday, we'll have one big service, and it'll be a modified service schedule. You don't want to miss Vision Sunday next week. We'll be talking a lot about some things that are coming up in our church as we do every year on that Sunday, and I'm very excited about it. And as we study Joseph, I asked one of our staff a couple of weeks ago to order this book. It's called The Lord Was With Joseph. Scott Pauley, many of you, um, you've heard him preach here, evangelist Scott Pauley. Um, he's an anointed, gifted preacher of God's Word. God is using him all across the country right now, and he's been here several times. He has a daily podcast that some of you listen to. If you don't, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's called Enjoying the Journey. But he wrote a book on the life of Joseph. And as we kick off this series on Joseph, I wanted to make this available. This was a book that I read. I think it's maybe 
five or six chapters, about a hundred pages. It won't take you that long to read, but it's filled with some great truth about Joseph's life. And as you read this, and as, the, as we study together, I think you'll get even more out of it. After I read it, I gave it to my teenagers to read. There were some really great truths in there that I wanted them to read, and so that's available out in the lobby. I think we're selling it to you for basically what we paid for it with tax and shipping, um, uh, $10. We may be losing a dollar or gaining a dollar there, I'm not sure, but it was right in that range of, of $10 we got uh, for the bulk discount. So that'll be in the lobby if you'd like to buy that. And in the new year, I'd encourage you, maybe some teenagers read that, some adults, um, some young people, but a helpful study. All through, as we're going to study, you're going to see the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. And that's what that book really talks about. It pulls out some of those characteristics and some of those chapters of Joseph's story. By way of review to remind us where we're at in Genesis. So I told you uh, last week, Genesis is broken down. The first 11 chapters contain four main events, four important events. And you have creation, then you have the fall, then you have Noah's flood, and then you have the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel leaves um, civilization, leaves the population of the earth scattered in sin, confused, all different people groups speaking different languages, and they're in need of a Savior. And then really the rest of the Old Testament is the story of the people group that God would bring His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth through. And that began with the promise to Abraham. And so then the rest of Genesis, from chapter 12 to chapter 50, you have four main characters. So you have four main events, then you have four main characters. And you have Abraham. Abraham was the father of Israel. You have Isaac. Isaac was the miracle son of Abraham and Sarah. Then you have Jacob. Isaac had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. To this day, we talk about the nation of Israel named after Jacob. We finished the study of Jacob's life last Sunday morning. If you missed any of that, you can catch that on our website or our podcast, wherever those are archived. And then Jacob had 12 sons. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Those would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Joseph was the son that was born to Jacob's favorite wife. And I said last week, that sounds kind of funny. If you're married, I hope your wife is your favorite wife. But Jacob had two. He had had Leah and Rachel. And then he had two handmaids um, that, that some sons were born of. So those 12 sons came from four different women. Well, Joseph was the last one born to his beloved wife, the wife that he, his, his, his true love, Rachel, and she, she uh, and then we saw last week where she died in childbirth as Benjamin came, but Joseph is that firstborn son to Rachel. As, as she had been with, unable to bear children, Joseph came. Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And so that's who we're going to be studying now. We have the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're going to study um, for, for in the coming weeks, Joseph. A phrase that I've often told my kids, and I've said it to our staff at different times, I'll say, hey kids, we'll we'll be somewhere together, I'll look and I'll say, we're living the dream. We're living the dream. Every day when I walk into my office, I have this, whoops, I have this placard that sits on my desk right here that one of our staff members gave me, and I walk in and it reminds me that living for God and serving Him and fulfilling His purpose for my life is a dream. And although sometimes, just like your life, I'm sure there are seasons that it may not feel that way, but it reminds me, it's the first thing I see every time I open my office door. We're living the dream. And we're going to look at a message this morning titled exactly that. Yes, that's the sermon series title, but we're going to look at a message titled Living the Dream. 
And, and it's not just the title but it's today for the series, but it's today's message. And as I mentioned, God gave Joseph the ability, he had and interpreted some pretty important dreams. And we're going to see where those God-given dreams led Joseph and how God worked in his life. If you have your Bibles, go with me to chapter 37, please. We're going to look at this entire chapter, so I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk through it this morning. We're going to see this morning three parts to this message. We're going to see Joseph's dream. We're going to see Joseph's reality. By the way, the reality of the life we live doesn't always seem to match the dream, or even it can feel like you might hear the promises of God being preached, and you believe them intellectually, but you say, my reality doesn't really match those promises right now. It doesn't feel like God is working in the way that I see other people talking about Him working. So we're going to see Joseph's dream, then we're going to see Joseph's reality, what did his life actually look like, because life often looks a lot different than our dreams. And then lastly, we're going to see Joseph's example. We're going to see his example, how he lived when his dream turned into a nightmare. And as we look at his example, we'll be challenged by three characteristics of Joseph that each of us need as we embark on the new year of 2024. You ready to jump into it? The first half of the message is going to be walking through this chapter and understanding the story so we can really understand who this character was. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to listen on purpose. Pay attention and, and, and really read and follow along. And let's understand, we're going to pick the story up. Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, is 17 years old. If he were in our society, he might be either just graduated from high school or getting ready to. He's a young man, 17 years old. He has many older brothers, and they are shepherds, and they're taking care of their dad's flocks in different places. And so we pick up the story in verse number one. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah. Those were the two handmaids. And uh, there were four boys that they, had, that they had given Jacob, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. We don't know the whole story here. We don't know if much like when David went to, to go check on his brothers and he ended up fighting Goliath, if maybe Jacob told Joseph, hey, I haven't heard from your brothers for a little while. They're out there taking care of the sheep. Go check on them. We don't know the whole story if Jacob maybe sent them or if maybe Jacob wanted Joseph to learn the family business. Business. So he said, hey, it's time for you to go intern with, with your, uh, your brothers out in the fields. Whatever it was, these brothers were not living right. And, and again, we don't know all the details, but jo Joseph ends up coming back. And whether it was that he was a tattletale that came back, or very likely it was Jacob asking him, what's going on with my sons? And Joseph's not going to lie. He gives an evil report. He comes back and tells them, it's not good the way that they're living. And so, that's strike one. His brothers aren't real happy that uh, they've, they've, he's tattled to, to their dad about them. Now, notice verse three. Now, Israel, that is Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. This was a significant garment that, Joseph, that Jacob made and gave to his son. This garment... Basically, it showed that he was the chosen son that was going to re re receive. The firstborn son was supposed to receive double the inheritance. You remember the birthright, the blessing. This coat was a, an outward symbol that showed all of his brothers, he's the one that's going to get it. He's the chosen one. Now, you can imagine. Um, that didn't, that wasn't real popular with all the brothers. And, uh, and Reuben was, was Jacob's firstborn, but Reuben, we saw last week, he, he 
forfeited with his sinful actions uh, following Rachel's death. And so he has this coat, verse number four. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And I just want to stop here and say, be careful, parents. Um, uh, it, it is not a good thing to show favoritism to our children. Every child is different. God makes them all different. They have all have different personalities. And here's the reality. You're going to naturally connect with or get along with one or more of your children better than other ones just based on personality and maybe based on their choices. But be careful about favoritism. It always creates animosity. It's not a good thing. It had happened in Jacob's life. Do you remember? Jacob and Esau. Dad loved Esau more. Mom loved Jacob more. So Jacob had already seen the negative of favoritism in the home, and yet he does the same thing. And, and because of Joseph being the child of his old age, because of Joseph being the firstborn to his beloved wife, Rachel, and so his brothers are not happy. They don't like him. Verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. What's the dream? So what's the dream that God gives Joseph? And he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaves. So get the picture. He's already not the favorite brother. Dad has already shown favoritism. They already don't like him. He's, he's tattled on them, whatever you want to say. He's given an evil report to dad. And then he comes and tells them, which by the way, everything he says is true, but it's not well received. He comes and tells them, hey guys, I had a dream. Oh, what's that, Joseph? What'd you dream? Well, I dreamed there were out in the field these 12 sheaves. There was, there was, the, the, there, there was these crops that were there, and mine stood up straight. It represented me, and there were 11 around it, and they bowed down to the middle one. Any of you have a brother or sister? No, don't, don't, you don't need to tell me about that. <laughs> that thinks that that's how it's supposed to go, and, and they didn't like that. And he has the dream. Notice what they said in verse 8. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. So now he has a picture up in, in the sky, and he says, I was there, and the sun and the moon, and then all the stars, the 11 stars, they worshiped me. They bowed down to me. They made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Remember when Mary said she kept all these things in her heart? That's kind of the idea here with, with, with Joseph's dad. The brothers envied him and said, who does this guy think he is? What kind of dreams does this guy have? And Joseph, this dreamer, he's got all these dreams that we're going to bow down to him. Oh yeah, fat chance over my dead body. And, and then he said it again, even his dad rebuked him. You think your mom and I are going to bow down to you? What? And it said his brothers envied him, but his dad kind of thought about it. He reasoned and thought, I wonder what God's doing in my son's life. By the way, spoiler alert, we're going to get there later in our study. Everything Joseph said in his dreams is going to come true. You see, the first dream, 
is really a picture as the crops are coming up. It's a picture of the world's resources. And Joseph is going to end up being the one that is over much of the world's resources, and everyone is, including his brothers, in a couple decades, are going to come to him and bow down before him, asking him for some of the resources. What he talked, that first dream related to the world's resources. The second dream, it talks about the sun, the moon, the stars. What is that? That's a picture of power, the world's powers. And, and he basically says, I'm going to rise up in the world's powers, and that's exactly Exactly right. He's going to become second in command of the nation's most powerful kingdom on earth at that time. And he said, I'm going to rise up and those, the, the power, the things that rule the night and the day, the sun and the moon, the rulers of the world are going to bow before me. Now, this was not, I don't believe, a prideful thing of Joseph. This was God showing him, here's my plan for your life. I'm going to use you in some great ways. And he shared with his parents, he shared with his brothers what God had showed him, how God was going to use him. And so we see Joseph's dream. Now, let's see. So it sounds like if all we know of Joseph right now is he's got a bright future ahead of him. God's told him, you're going to be in charge of much of the world's resources. You're going to be uh, at the top of the world's rulers. You're going to be up top. Let's see where that dream leads. Not, we see Joseph's dream. Now look, let's look at Joseph's reality. Verse number 12, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. And he said unto him, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, well with the flock, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Joseph, obeying his dad, doing what he's been told to do going where he's supposed to go, being what he should be, and how is he repaid? It says in verse 18, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him, to kill him. Would you read verse 19 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You can, you can get a sense for how deep the hatred of this family was, how deep the envy, <clears throat> excuse me, how deep the envy of these brothers were. You, you get a sense of it when they see him coming. I don't know, maybe after all of this happened, they were out in the field, hey, who does this guy think he is telling dad what's going on out here in the field? Telling dad the way we're living. Why doesn't he just mind his own business, little punk? Stay in his room. We don't need him. And now he's got these dreams. He thinks you're, hey, hey, Reuben, he thinks you're going to bow down to him. Fat chance, right? I'm not bowing down to that kid. There's no way. Hey, Naphtali. Hey, Gad. Hey, Simeon. Hey, Levi. He thinks you're going to bow. Asher, he thinks you're going to bow down to him. He's going to be in charge of us. And then all of a sudden, here comes Joseph. He's carefree. He's doing what his dad told him to do. He doesn't know what they're talking about. He's walking, and from a long way, they say, hey, I recognize that coat. Look who's coming. The dreamer's coming. Oh, that man with his dreams. Let's see how good his dreams are. Hey, guys, when he gets here, let's kill him. We'll kill him. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, uh, kill an animal, dip his coat in that blood, and we'll go back and say, Dad, look what we found. 
By the way, isn't it interesting, parents, that often uh, that, that our children follow in some of our, our good choices, but also in some of our bad choices? Wasn't it Jacob that deceived his dad with the killing of a kid, with the killing of an animal? Deceived his dad to get the birthright? Remember that? The blessing, I should say? Remember that? And now he's about to be deceived by his children with the killing of an animal. Let's kill him. Verse 21, and Reuben, the firstborn, the oldest of the group, he heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him. Basically, he tries to come up with a, and, and as the firstborn, he's going to be the one to answer. Uh, how many of you are a firstborn in your family? Let me just see you're a firstborn. How do you understand that you often have to answer for what the, the younger ones did, right? You're the spokesman, or you get in trouble. How many of you get in trouble for what the younger ones did? And the, uh, how many of you are the baby of the family? Let me just see, the baby. And uh, how many of you don't think that's true? The, 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 the older ones, we've got older ones, and our older kids, our older three tell us that we have gone soft on our younger two. They say they don't get disciplined nearly as much as we did. You would have, you would have been, we would have gotten sent to our room. We would have gotten disciplined for that. That would have helped. You would have grounded us, whatever it might have been. They say they never do. And I say that, I'll tell you why. They behave better than you ever did. That's why. <laughs> if you would have behaved as good as them, it's not that we've gotten soft. It's not that we love the babies more. They're just better kids. That's all. And, uh, right, Ash? And so the firstborn, the firstborn. So Reuben, probably understanding it's going to be on him. Why did you let your brothers do this? What, what happened? Why weren't you more careful? Reuben says, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into a pit. Maybe we'll let him die there. But Reuben did have other ideas. Look what it says. It said at the end of verse number 22, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Reuben thought, hey, we'll throw him in the pit. They'll forget about him. They'll think he's left for dead. I'll go back later. I'll get him. I'll bring him out. I'll bring him back home. I'm not going to let him. I hate him too, but I'm not going to let him kill my brother. All right, that's where we're at. Verse number 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold, a company of Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites, isn't that interesting? These are their distant cousins. Jacob, they were sons of Jacob. Ishmaelites were sons of, of, of uh, from uh, Abraham, they were sons of Isaac, I should say, and grandsons, and these were grandsons of Ishmael. And it says, the Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Sometimes when we read the Bible, and I'm, I'm, I'd encourage you to be jumping into the Bible this year, we gave you uh, three different Bible plans that you might want to use, or you might want to do something different, and I've enjoyed reading through some of those with some of you already. And if you haven't jumped on one of those, it's not too late after the service We'll have the QR codes up there, but jumping in. But sometimes when we read the Bible, we just read a verse, and it's just a few words, like, oh, they stripped him out of his coat and, and threw him into a pit where there was no water, and then it just goes on, and they're now eating a picnic. Now, number one, think about the hard-heartedness of these brothers, what they just did, and they're just sitting down eating. They haven't lost their appetite. They're having no problems. But we just read through those words. Think about what this actually looks like for Joseph. He's walking up. His brothers are there. He's walking up. They stripped him out of his coat. What's the idea there? <clears throat> they jumped him. 
They're holding him down. They're probably beating him up. And he's, what's going on? What did I do? Dad sent me out to see what's... And, and undoubtedly, it was a violent scene. They're yelling. They're screaming, hold him down. Shut up. They're kicking him. They're pulling his jacket off. Let's go carry him. If a man's fighting, it, it's, it's pretty hard. If a man's fighting, he doesn't want to go somewhere. It takes a lot of force to get him there. Hey, let's get him to that pit. Let's look. No, guys, what are you doing? And they throw him into the pit where there's no water. Undoubtedly, Joseph's bleeding some. Undoubtedly, he's bruised, maybe crying, maybe hurt, maybe confused, probably all of the above, and he's there in this pit. He doesn't know what's going on, and his brothers are like, all right, good job, high five, we got it done, let's go eat. And they're sitting there, and a group comes by, verse 26, and Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content." It kind of sounds like, in some ways, Judah's kind of a good guy, but then you stop and think about it, what profit is it if we kill him? Hey, if we kill him, we make no money off of it. But if we sell him, we never have to see him again. It's like he's dead, and we make some money. It's almost like he's doubly evil. I can make some money off of the, the basically figure it's the death of my brother. We're never going to see him again. Let's sell him into slavery. Verse 28, then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. You see any, any uh, parallels to anybody else we know in the Bible? 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt, parallel into Egypt. And Reuben turned, returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he said, he said and, and he returned unto the, his brethren and said, the child is not, and I, whither shall I go? So probably what we understand here is Reuben must have gone to check on his sheep, and while he did that, his brothers sold Joseph. Reuben comes back to finish his plan. He's going to, after the emotions die down, after everybody kind of gets cooler heads, hey, come on, Joseph, keep your mouth shut, no more dreams, don't be talk, don't be, no more tattling. All right, if you want to live. And that was his plan. And he comes back to the pit and he's gone. And he rents his clothes. He starts tearing his clothes off. This is a sign of deep mourning and grief. And what's going on? And what am I going to do? Whither shall I go? How am I going to go back home and face my dad, guys? I'm the firstborn. You know he's coming to me. You know he's asking me, what am I supposed to do, guys? What did you do with him? Verse number 31, and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes, and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. The dream. Thank you for staying with us as we walk through that passage. We, today's message is a little different. We're laying foundation to really understand who it is that we're studying in the coming months. The dream, God's got great plans for me. God's hand is on me. God's going to use me in unbelievable ways. God has things prepared for me. I can't wait to follow God. Look at what God has for me. The reality, I'll never see my dad again. 
I'll never see my brothers again. I'm lucky to be alive, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a slave in a godless society. I'm going to spend the rest of my life of no value serving as a common slave in a godless society. And isn't it true that sometimes what we dreamed our lives would be and what our lives actually are in the moment can feel like two very different things. And what does that do? It can cause confusion and pain and hurt and disillusionment. Why would God allow this in my life? Why would loved ones treat me like that? What did I do to deserve this? He was just a young man, what we would call a teenager. He finds himself in a godless country where he knows no one. He doesn't know the culture. He may not know the language. He doesn't, the food tastes funny to him. He'll never see his, his family again. What happened to the dreams that I had for my life? What happened to the plan that I believed God had for my life? His reality was very different than his dream, wasn't it? And by the way, it's going to be very different for decades. I don't have the time to get into all of it, but it's not just going to be a week or two, and then all of a sudden the magic genie shows up and life gets better. It's going to get better, and then it's going to get even worse. It's going to get better. He's going to be, he's going to be accused of rape, be, be left in a prison. It's going to get better. He's going to get some power, and then he's going to be misunderstood, and he's going to be lied about. He's going to be in prison for nothing he's done wrong other than standing up for God, and someone in prison is going to say, when I get out, I'm going to go fight for you. I'm going to be your advocate, and that guy's going to get out because of Joseph interpreting his dream. That guy's going to get out or interpreting the other dream. That guy's going to get out, and when he gets out, he's going to be completely forgotten. He's going to be betrayed by friends. Can you resonate with any of Joseph's story? I thought life was going to look like this. And it kind of looks a whole lot different than that. His dream and his reality sounds more like when we read it, a nightmare than a dream, doesn't it? Here's what I want to say, and I'm going to give you a few thoughts as we close. Through it all, we have hindsight. We have the whole story. Joseph didn't know this, but through it all, God was at work to fulfill his plan. Here's the irony. They sold him into slavery because they hated his dream and said, we're never going to worship him. And you know, the very act of them selling him into slavery was part of God's plan to fulfill those very dreams. It's through being sold into Egypt that he's going to rise up to be one of the most powerful men in the world. Through the act of his family's betrayal that God is fulfilling the very dream that contributed to that betrayal. That blows my mind. And here's the reality. None of us can ever figure out exactly what God's doing and why and when. And when we do, that's a fool's errand. When we do, we will drive ourselves crazy. But here's what I know. The Bible does say in Romans chapter number 8, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't say we always see how all things work together for good, but it says we know they do if we love God and we're fulfilling his purpose. Even the reality when a, a dream looks more like a nightmare, God can use that in our lives to fulfill his plan and purpose in our lives. So we see his dream, we see his reality, and I want us to see as we close Joseph's example. What can we learn? How did Joseph respond? I'm going to give us three practical challenges in 2024 as our dreams, some of them this year come to fruition and some of them are put on hold and some of them are completely dashed. 
And our prayers, some of them are answered and others of them are, it's wait a while. And some of them we're like, I don't even know if God heard it. And in 2024, when the dream and the reality don't match, what was Joseph's example for decades when the dream and the reality didn't match? I want to give us three challenges. What do we learn from Joseph? Number one, I want to challenge you in 2024 when we're living the dream, but it doesn't always feel that way. Number one, stay tender. Stay tender. I don't want to give too many spoiler alerts here, but in a couple decades, Joseph will be reunited with his brothers and he'll be the one in a position of power this time. He'll be the one that will be able to put them to death with one word if he wants to. He'll be the one that will be able to throw them in prison if he wants to get even. He will have the opportunity to get revenge. But you know what he'll do? He will humbly and tearfully show unmerited favor, grace and love to those who left him for dead. He will, you'll see him say, they'll say, you're going to hurt us. And he'll say, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Do you know what it shows us? It, we don't know exactly where, but somewhere along the line, maybe in the pit, maybe in the cart on the way to Egypt, maybe in the prison, Joseph said, I'm not going to let the hurts and the betrayals and the disappointments of this life, I'm not gonna let the ones that should have loved me the most, but that hurt me the worst, I'm not gonna let that cause me to grow bitter and cause me to grow cynical and cause me to grow hard-hearted. I'm not going to let my heart get hardened. And may I say, the longer you live, the more things that will happen in your life that will give you the opportunity and humanly speaking, the justification to allow your heart to grow hardened, to get cynical. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. What do we say? You hurt me once, I'm putting up a wall and I'm never going to let anybody into my life again. And what does, what is that? That leads to a very lonely, bitter cynical life. And may I say in 2024, guard against cynicism, guard against bitterness, guard against hard-heartedness. People do us wrong, so we grow cynical. But biblical charity, the Bible says, suffers long. It forgives. It believes the best in people. And in your life and in mine, cynicism is the enemy of joyful Christianity. The longer you live and the harder, uh, the, the, the more things happen in your life, the harder you will have to work to stay tender. But stay tender anyways. That pastor lets you down. Don't give up on pastors. That Christian did you wrong. Don't give up on Christians. That family member hurt you. Don't stop loving family. That coworker lied about you. Don't stop being a person of integrity at work. I could go on with all of the, all of the, 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 uh, the illustrations and the opportunities that we have to grow cynical and bitter and hard-hearted, and we're constantly looking, so how's that one going to let me down, and how's that one going to hurt me, and I wonder where they're going to get me there. That's a terrible way to live, and what do we see with Joseph? He didn't live that way, because when his brothers came back and they had the chance, they, he had the chance to do them wrong, what did he do? He wrapped his arms of love that they didn't deserve and said, I'm going to nourish you and your little ones. He kept his heart tender, trusting God when he didn't understand all of the pains in his life. Stay tender in 2024. Learn to forgive. Learn to give it to God. Seek no vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't grow hardened and angry, always looking for who's going to get you next. You cannot love well with walls up. With God's help, leave the walls down. 
It's the only way you can truly love and impact people. And can I promise you something? If you leave the walls down, you will be hurt. But you will also help far more people than those that you're hurt by. But if you live with the walls up, you cannot help people. You cannot truly love. And so Joseph's dream and his reality were two different things, but his example was he stayed tender. Number two, my challenge to you, he stayed devoted. By the way, when you love with walls down, you'll model the spirit of Christ who said as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? The ones that put him to death. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Show the love of Christ this year even to those that hurt you. Stay tender, number two, stay devoted. Don't give up on God because life didn't work out the way you thought it would. Keep your integrity, Joseph did. Keep your faith, Joseph did. Keep following God, Joseph did. Keep doing right even in the midst of a godless generation and a godless society, Joseph did. Joseph, he stayed devoted to God when tempted by a beautiful woman day after day, week after week, when accused of rape, when imprisoned and unjustly, when forgotten by friends that promised to remember him, when family betrayed him, abused him, and sold him for 20 pieces of silver, when his dreams were dashed for decades. He didn't lose his faith. He didn't grow angry at God. How could you let this happen? He didn't walk away from God. Joseph didn't blame God for man's failures. And in 2024, can I challenge you, don't blame God for man's failures in your life. Stay tender, stay devoted, and lastly, stay faithful. You know, if Joseph hadn't stayed faithful for decades, we're going to get there in Genesis 50. It's one of the most beautiful word pictures in all of Scripture. I'm not going to spoil it right now because we're going to, I might spend a whole message on it at the end. But Joseph is going to enjoy so much love and joy with family that he thought he would never see again. But it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have stayed faithful to being who God wanted him to be for decades without any hope of it ever getting better. There was no hope for decades of that family reunion, but he stayed faithful. He kept doing right. He kept living the way that he knew he was supposed to live. He kept following the plans of God, following the God of his father, the God of his family. May I just say, get in this thing of following God and serving God for the long haul. Decide you're going to stay faithful to him as much as you can. Get in and never get out. When the bills are paid and when the debts are high, stay faithful. When you're feeling strong and when all strength is gone, stay faithful. When the sun is shining or the storms are raging, stay faithful. When you're promoted and when you're demoted, stay faithful. When people praise you and when those same people later on attack you. When the future is bright and when the future is bleak, stay faithful. When prayers are answered and when you're not even sure they were heard, stay faithful. When the pastor helps you and when the pastor lets you down, when your dreams come true and when your heart is broken, stay faithful. As we move into another year, may I encourage you with God's help to commit to staying faithful unto death. Isn't our Lord faithful to us when we don't deserve it? What did the prophet Jeremiah say? He said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Would you read the last phrase with me? The last four words aloud, ready, begin. Great is thy, great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. His compassions 
they fail not. We'll never be exactly like God. We're, we're fallen sinful humans, but we can strive to reflect some of those attributes. Let's stay faithful. Let's show the love of God when others hurt us as Joseph did. May we strive to be like him. Paul said to young Timothy, who was just getting started in the ministry, he said, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In season, when it's going well. Out of season, when it isn't. Stay faithful, Paul, through the seasons of life and ministry. What did Paul say of himself? I have learned how to be abased and how to abound. I have learned how to be full and to suffer need. I have learned to be hungry and to be filled. I have learn. What did he say? In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I've learned to stay faithful in the seasons of life. In 2024, your dreams and your reality might not always match up, but stay tender. Don't grow bitter and angry at God and others. Don't grow cynical, always looking for who's going to hurt you next. Stay devoted. Keep doing what you're supposed to do, and stay faithful for a lifetime. And let us not be weary, Paul told the churches at Galatia, in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There are some rewards coming if we stay faithful. There are some joys coming if we stay faithful. There's some healing coming if we stay faithful. There's some love we're going to experience if we stay faithful. There's some comfort God will give us if we stay faithful. There's some grace God will bestow upon us if we stay faithful. Hey, church family, Liberty family, let's decide we're going to get in. And no matter what this year holds, God, with your help, I'm going to be faithful to getting your word. I'm going to be faithful to pray. I'm going to be faithful to gather with your people on a weekly basis. I'm going to be faithful to love and to serve when it's noticed and appreciated, and when it's completely ignored and, and not noticed at all. With your help, God, I'm going to stay faithful no matter whether 2024 is a dream or it feels a little more like a nightmare. There was a plaque hanging in an old preacher's office with a quote that was credited to Edmund Burke. It read, never despair, but if you do, work on in despair. Stay faithful. Don't despair, church. But if you find yourself despairing, keep moving forward. Stay faithful. There is some fruit that only comes after decades of faithfulness. There are some answers, some questions that take years to answer. By the way, there are some questions that may never get answered this side of eternity. But stay faithful anyway. And when, you meet, when, we, when we meet our Savior, you'll be so glad that you did. Stay faithful and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Joseph is a pretty amazing man. And you're going to learn the next, really the rest of the uh, chapter, we're going to study and see his life in Egypt. He's, gonna have, he's not going to be home ever again. Egypt's going to be his new home. And I wanted today for you to understand how we got there to where he was. Really today was a foundational message to understand his life. A pretty amazing man we're going to study for another 10 messages or so in the next two months. But as we looked at this first chapter and we saw Joseph, does any of this story remind you of someone else? Who was the beloved of his father? Who was sent to his brothers? But his brothers hated and rejected him. They stripped him of his garments and schemed to kill him. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And as he was mistreated, falsely accused and falsely imprisoned, what did he do? He would forgive the very ones who sought to kill him. 
offering to meet their every need that they were powerless to meet themselves. He would be reunited with his father and perfectly fulfill God's plan for his life. And every one of his brothers would eventually bow their knee before him. Does that sound familiar? Joseph, the one I just described, is our Savior Jesus. So let's not just study Joseph, but let's let Joseph's life lead us to the Savior. To understand the faithfulness of our Lord, the one who said, Father, forgive them. We can learn from Joseph, and I hope we do. But even more than that, we need to know the love and forgiveness of Christ that Joseph's life so beautifully pictured and embodied. Because life without Christ, if you're here this morning without Christ, it will always end as a nightmare. But we that follow God, we can live the dream. We can live in the truth that our sins are forgiven. Heaven is our home. God is our Father. Jesus is our intercessor. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. We can live the dream that is following God for a lifetime and then spending eternity with him in heaven. So more than living like Joseph this year, do you know Joseph's God personally? There's no life like a life wholly surrendered to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, he was sent by the Father. He was despised and rejected. He was cast into prison. He was stripped of his garments. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. He was rejected by those he came to save. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Yet he willingly and lovingly, in our time of need, said, I'll pay for your sins. I'll die for you. Have you ever accepted that free gift of salvation from Christ alone? If you haven't, make today the day of your salvation. If you have, are we reflecting those same attributes the way that Joseph did? When the dream and the reality couldn't be farther from each other. Hey guys, God's got an amazing life planned for me. You're not going to believe it. You're all going to worship me and you're going to need me. You're going to bow down before me. It's going to be awesome. We'll see about that. Kill him. Eh, let's not kill him. Let's just let him starve to death in a pit. Eh, we don't really make anything off that. Let's at least make a few bucks. We could each go home with about two, two pieces of silver. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and sell him. We'll sell him. We'll never see him again. Dad will never know. He'll believe he died. It's a win-win. The dream and the reality were very different, but what do we see in his example? He stayed tender, didn't grow hard-hearted, cold, cynical, and bitter. He stayed devoted, and he stayed faithful. Let's strive to do those same things. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.